John 10 introduces kind of one of those key themes to Lent as we move toward Easter, which is the death of Jesus. John 10 is really the first place where Jesus begins to indicate that he's going to go through hell and back for us. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at that. John 10, nothing's going to be on the screen. I had built this actually pretty cool PowerPoint, I thought, and then it disappeared from my computer. So that's magical. So John 10, um, use those paperback Bibles if you want, but we're going to do something different. Um, when, when, uh, in, in, when, when the king entered a room, the people stood. When the king entered a room, the people would stand. So we're going to read God's word. So why don't you stand up, would you please? Do something a little different here. John 10 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. He said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. My, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. I, the Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's a demon-possessed man and out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Go ahead and have a seat and let's pray. Father, where your word is explained, your voice is heard, and so help us to hear your voice. Help us to be comforted and equipped and challenged as we unpack this together. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, the first athletic activity I ever had any skill in was rollerblading. I have never been an athlete, well, and I've only maybe, Zach would say maybe I've begun since I started working out with him, but no, the first thing I ever really was good at was rollerblading. I got my rollerblades when I was in second or third grade, and the way I learned how to rollerblade was going in the garage from the minivan to the grill, from the minivan to the grill, which was really about a distance from me to Vanessa right now. You know what I mean? Just there and back. But you know, my mom bought me these rollerblades. My mom bought them. And so of course the rollerblades came with what? A helmet and wrist pads and knee pads, right? And so armored up like a US Marine back and forth between the grill and the minivan and the grill and the minivan. And then I kind of started going up and down the driveway, but not the bottom of the driveway because my driveway, I don't know if yours does this growing up, like it was flat, 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 and then dip, right? So not that part, the hills were scary. So I did a lot of that, did a lot of that. Then I kind of got the hill, then I got the hill, and then I started going down the street. And what did my mom say? My mom said, be careful. My mom said, be careful. 
be careful is mom talk for what? It is mom talk for the world is a scary, dangerous place. Vehicles could hit you at any second. Please be careful, my perfect little baby angel. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what mom talk is. It is be careful. It is mom talk for the world is a scary, scary place, and we are very fragile and, and very, very vulnerable. This is only underscored, our vulnerability, our fragility is only underscored by the statistic that two Americans are crushed by vending machines every year. So you listen, of all things, you just think you're going to get the pop, right? I want my Coke, I stick my dollar in, I take it out, I like, you know, on the side of the thing to flatten it out, I stick it in again, comes back out, you know, and then it goes in and then bam, the machine just falls on you, right? Kills you, we don't have any vending machines in the church, we're safe here, people. And, we are fragile, vulnerable people, and so our moms tell us, be careful, and Jesus tells us that we are sheep. Jesus, in John 10, plunges us into a story about our vulnerability, about our fragility, about, uh, and about how his desire is to care for us in that. John 10 is a story all about what our moms were trying to say, be careful, John 10 is a story um, that is not familiar to us. John 10 is a story about sheep and shepherds, about hired hands and robbers and thieves and big bad wolves. And since none of us came in from herding our sheep this afternoon, this isn't a familiar metaphor, but when Jesus was unpacking this for the original hearers of John 10, they knew exactly what he was talking about. What they understood about sheep is this, and what Jesus wants us to understand is that sheep are fragile, vulnerable creatures which is why in the end being called sheep is not exactly the most best compliment that you have ever received, far from it. Uh, because in the realm of the animal kingdom, sheep are perhaps the dumbest, weakest animal that there ever was. Jesus does not say, you are my lions and I will be that rock thing from the Lion King that you can hide in. That's not what he says. Uh, he does not say, you are great white sharks. He says, you are sheep. He says, you are dumb and blind and vulnerable to pray. Jesus is echoing this teaching throughout the Old Testament. Of course, we know the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 100 verse three says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, Isaiah 40, I found this really beautiful passage where it says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. But then it makes this change. It's so tough. And then listen, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young, that are with young. In the eyes of God, you and I are his sheep, and it's God's desire to carry us in his bosom but he has to do that because we are dumb and vulnerable and fragile. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are really some of the only animals on the planet that have no defense mechanism, none whatsoever. Uh, a cow can like kick, kick something that's trying to eat it, a horse can run away, uh, bison can jump uh, uh, from standing onto the back of a truck. Uh, bison can do that. Everybody, so they could jump onto prey or onto their predator, but sheep have no such thing. If they are cornered by a wolf, they lay down on their backs, expose their bellies as if to say, enjoy my innards, right? They just lay down and they just take it. Uh, sheep 
really can't see very well. And so if a sheep goes over a cliff and one sees it and they're like, oh, I wonder what he's doing. And then he goes and boom, I mean, shepherds lose whole flocks this way. Um, sheep are terrified of water. In Psalm 23, those of us that are familiar with that, there's that line that says, he leads me beside still waters. That's because sheep only drink at still water. They won't go near moving water. Neither would you if you were wearing a wool sweater, right? Because it would make you sink. Uh, sheep can't swim. If, if their wool gets wet, they sink. They, are, they, are, they cannot see anything. They're, they're vulnerable. They're in great need and in constant need of care and guidance and leadership. And Jesus says, so are we. We are his sheep. We need his care. We need his guidance and we need his leadership or at least some kind of care and guidance and leadership. And in John 10, we are reminded at, at least of this. We are reminded that we are not as strong as we think we are, that we are not as capable as we think we are. No, we're sheep. We are defenseless against our foes and in need of guidance and care. And the problem with that is we need guidance and care and there are many people who want to give us that or so we think. There are many people who want to give us guidance and care, and so we think. Jesus' story talks about sheep and shepherds, but it also talks about thieves and robbers and wolves and hired hands. Thieves and robbers are essentially the same kind of person in the story. The difference is, like, a thief is not quite as violent as a robber. A robber holds you up at gunpoint. A thief just sneaks into your house at night and takes stuff. He says, the thieves and the robbers sneak over the wall of a sheepfold. Sheep at night were put in like they would build these little walls out of rocks, put brambles on the top, and then the shepherd would sleep in the open hole at the front of it, or the hired hand would sleep at the front, open hole in the front of it. But he says sheep go over that wall and take advantage of the sheep's defenseless and take it away. He says thieves and robbers seek only to steal and kill and destroy, which is in sharp contrast to the shepherd who seeks to give and care and love. There are thieves and robbers, he says, but there are also hired hands. Not everyone in our lives are like thieves and robbers. See, thieves and robbers are just out to take and steal and take advantage of us. Hired hands are a little different. Hired hands, my, my father-in-law had a hired hand. He was a large animal vet. He retired right around the time that we got married. And here's why you need a hired hand uh, as a large animal vet. You often have one hand in an orifice. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? So you kind of need somebody to hand you something, right? Because you're kind of occupied over here. And uh, a lot of herders and ranchers have, have hired hands because it's a lot to handle a couple hundred head of cattle by yourself. So you hire a guy to do that. But Jesus says the problem with hired hands, the difference between the shepherd and the hired hand is this. When the, when the hired hand sees a wolf coming, he runs away. When the hired hand sees a wolf coming, he runs away. Why? He's just in it for the money and the pay isn't good enough. Listen, if I'm a hired hand, I'm not going toe to toe with a bear. I can get another paycheck from somebody else. Uh, if I'm dead from the bear, I can't pay for my family. The hired hand runs when he sees danger coming because he's only in it for the money. Uh, and that, that's what a hired hand is. He, he, he doesn't have a vested interest, interest in the care of the sheep. And so here we are, defenseless and vulnerable sheep in a very scary world where vending machines can crush us at any minute. Or more seriously, we could lose the job, we could run out of money, we could lose the marriage, fall back into addiction, get hurt, get sick, or just end up alone. We're, we're fragile. We're vulnerable. And we're in this vacuum of our defensiveness. This defenselessness and our fragility and our vulnerability leaves a vacuum 
There it leaves a vacuum, and nature abhors a vacuum, and so do most TV personalities, which I'll say, explain in a minute. Because you see, we live in a world where we can find all sorts of people to help us with our vulnerability. We live in a world where we can find all sorts of people to help us with our vulnerability. We can hire personal trainers and, and coaches. We can hire, listen, I, here's what your pastor has. Your pastor has a counselor, has a coach, and a spiritual director, and a strength and conditioning coach. That's a lot of hired hands in my life, and these are good people. Uh, we, we can hire, but, but, but here's the problem. When the money goes away, except maybe with Zach because we're friends, I hope, uh, <laughs> But when the money goes away, when the money goes away, they're nowhere to be found. So we can hire life coaches and gurus and counselors and spiritual directors, and we can hire all of these people. We can hire trainers. We can hire, we can hire people to teach us things. But when the money goes away, we find out that our relationship was really entirely one way. In our vulnerability, if we get sick, we can go to the doctor, we can talk to a nurse, we can hire a specialist, and they're in it to win it until they get a letter from the insurance that says claim denied. And then, and then they're nowhere to be found. Politicians are more than happy to help us when they need our vote. And then after the fact, we find out that they really just were hired hands and their payment was the vote. And now that they have that, they're on their way out. When the wolf comes, they're nowhere to be found. And further, there are robbers in every bush and thieves in every, around every corner, or at the very least, often in our television and in our Facebook feeds, because we have all of these people in our lives who are willing to teach us something, who are willing to, to offer us something. But don't think for a minute that Oprah's new diet book doesn't make her money. Don't think for a minute that Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz don't get something out of the deal and that they're not just in it to take. And I'm sure they're good people, but they're in it for ratings. Our lives are, and, and often when we think of thieves, I don't know about you, but I think of like a TV preacher, right? His hair is perfect. He's wearing the suit and he's got the smile. And he says, if you just give me your faith offering, I will heal you. If you just give me this money, you will have financial prosperity. But listen, are people on, are Oprah or Ellen or any of these people all that different? They're just in it for the ratings. They get a paycheck on their way home too. There's thieves and robbers everywhere. And when we get personal, we come to realize that it's not just those who we pay or who we watch in our culture that fall into these categories. We've had friends that we thought we could rely on no matter what, but who turn out to be nothing more than hired hands that when the wolf shows its face, they go running. We have family members who act a lot more like thieves and robbers than they do mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and grandparents. And so here we are, these fragile, vulnerable people. And when we get down to it, we realize we're like Dorothy going into that scary wood in the Wizard of Oz. And what does she say? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Yet into our darkness and our helplessness, into our vulnerability steps Jesus, the good shepherd who says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they, that you, that we might have a rich and satisfying life. Seeing our need and helplessness, Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name and lead them out. I walk ahead of them and they follow me because they know my voice. Uh, they won't follow a stranger because they're going to run from him because they don't know his voice, but I'm the good shepherd. I sacrifice my life for the sheep. 
hired hands run when they see a wolf coming, but, and they'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and they're not the shepherd, but the hired hand runs away, but I don't because I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as my father knows me and I know the father in a world where everybody wants something from us, our likes, our shares, our money, our time, Jesus comes and only gives. In a world where love is conditional, Jesus says, I have come because I love them. In a world when someone will throw you under the bus or as it were, the vending machine, Jesus says, I love the sheep and I lay my life down for them. Jesus throws himself under the vending machine and under the bus for us. Jesus is our good shepherd. And in John 10, he tells us there are three things that we need. Three things that we need. We need his voice, we need his pasture, and we need his flock. Flock being a scary word to repeat over and over again in a sermon for reasons that are not obvious to those who are pure in heart his voice, his pasture, and his flock. See, now I said that out loud and I'm worried about it. You know what I mean? Jesus says that we need his voice. We need his voice. Sheep are dumb and blind in, in all sorts of ways, but they have one sense that is slightly above average. We're talking like C plus, and it's their sense of hearing. Because uh, I don't know if you know this about sheep, but they all kind of look alike. Do you know what I mean? All white, all fluffy, all four legs. Uh, and so uh, how do you tell them apart? And it wasn't uncommon in Jesus's day for at the end of the day, a couple of shepherds, uh, maybe three or four of them, to put all of their sheep in the same sheep pen at night because they would build these sheep pens throughout the pastures and grazing lands in Israel so that you could kind of graze through the day and get to a safe place by night. So they were every so often, but you'd sometimes have a couple shepherds there. Well, now we've got our flocks mixed. And what do we do now in the morning? Well, one shepherd stands over here and one stands over here and they just start talking and the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. They separate on their own. That's why Jesus says, the sheep know my voice. They, won't know, they don't know a stranger. They won't follow a stranger because they don't know his voice. Jesus isn't being like metaphorical. He's being accurate. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd which means this, you and I were made to know the voice of Jesus. You and I, at the very moment of our creation, were given ears that could hear his voice. Now the problem is the world crowds it out. Sin has given us like a need for the hearing aids of grace. And yet we can know his voice. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. Jesus makes a remarkable claim. I don't want us to miss this. You and I can know the voice of God. There's a lot of Christians that'll say, you know, God told me, God told me this. I mean, I, I'm thinking of somebody we know. I mean, God's telling them stuff when they see a bird land on the tree and they think of a poem and a song, you know, but I, I'm not like that. But you know what? I can still know the voice of God. And I can know that it's not just in my head and I can know it's not just a bad taco. I can know the voice of God in my life because I belong to Jesus, that I can hear him and be known by him. This means that we have to cultivate habits of hearing God, which is why we worship because we hear from God in the lyrics that we sing. This is why we put ourselves under biblical teaching so that because when God's word is explained, his voice is heard, we believe that this book adequately captures the will of God in our lives and his will for the world, this book. This is why, this is why we cultivate habits of prayer. And I think this morning, I kind of decided we're gonna preach on prayer this summer because you and I all pray wrong. 
And let me tell you the number one way that you and I pray wrong and the number one reason that we don't hear from the voice of God. It's because when I go to God, I have a list of 27 things. And often they're good and right. Many of you have been praying for us in this season. I really appreciate that. But so we go to the Lord and, we, and the Lord starts to like say, and we're like, Jesus, I have some things to tell you. And so we sit for 20 minutes and we pray down the list. We say amen and we go weeks and weeks and weeks and we wonder we don't hear the voice of God. We don't hear from him. And yet what if prayer was not, God, I've got all these things to tell you and ask you for, but God, I want to sit and hear you speak into my life. What if it was talking with God? What if it was speaking to him like you would a friend? And what if we came to the realization um, uh, Laura and, and Steph and I and Joey and Julia heard a guy named David Thomas talk yesterday and he reminded me of something very simple, which is that God looks forward to talking to you. God isn't like trying to play like tag, right? So like sometimes he's there to hear, but he really does long for us to hear his voice, which by the way, the death of Jesus gives us access to. Here's a side note. Did you, did you see that BBC video this week? of the little kid, the guys on BBC talking about very important things, South Korea and blah, 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 right? And, he's on, and then all of a sudden what happens is his daughter comes bursting in, right? And, and then the little, the little baby in that wheeled thing comes in too. And then the nanny, I have found out it's the nanny and I'm guessing she's now the former nanny, right? Like comes in and like very intensely removes these children from the room. Like there's a lot of yanking involved, you know? And uh, this is why I think she might be the former nanny. And, and, the, and the dad is so embarrassed. He's like, apologies, apologies. His like eyes are closed. And you notice, by the way, here's, here's, your, here's my suspicion for the week. He didn't stand up. And I think it's because he wasn't wearing pants. I think he was in a, he had a suit on and his tie and his shirt, but just boxers down here. Do you know what I mean? And so I, I think he was going to be doing this for a couple hours. I think he was getting comfy. And uh, that's why I think he didn't stand up. But, um, but listen, the kids only burst into the room that way because they were assured, they felt assured that their father would hear them. They only busted into that room because they felt the confidence that no matter what, the, what their father was doing, he would listen to them which just might be the one instance where that wasn't the case, right? <laughs> but but uh, there was obviously a habit there. And here's the deal. Our father is holding together the universe by the word of his power right now. And when we bust in to talk to him about something, he does not say, let me put this black hole down. He stops everything and says, what? There's access so that we can hear the voice of God. Jesus says we need his voice. Jesus also said we need his pastures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Jesus in John 10 says, those who come in through me will be saved and they will come and go freely and find good pastures. The psalmist says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a good inheritance. Jesus says that he is our shepherd and when we follow him and hear the sound of his voice, he will lead us into green pastures, which means this, Jesus will lead you to places that you otherwise would not go. Jesus will lead you to places that you otherwise would not go, which means if you are a leader, it is your job to take people where they otherwise would not go. If you are leading people to a place where they would want to go anyway, you're not leading. You're a tour guide. You're, you're a vacation host. That's not leader. Leadership's, leadership is taking people where they otherwise wouldn't go because that's what Jesus does in our lives. He takes us to places we wouldn't go, to places of discomfort and serving, of conviction, of honesty, 
of pain and suffering, of loneliness, of disappointment, Jesus takes us to these places, and he calls those places good pasture. The problem is, we look at the pasture that we're in, and we're like, Jesus, I love this pasture. This pasture is perfect. It's green. It's nice. It's everything. And Jesus says, it's not green enough. See, we settle too much, right? So we settle for bad pasture. And so Jesus says, we're going to keep going and keep going and keep going further up and further in, is how C.S. Lewis calls it, further up and further in to greener and greener pastures until we enter the pasture that has no end, which is heaven. Jesus says we need his pasture. And the good news is that when we get into the greener pasture that he offers us, it's not going to be like, ooh, that other pasture was in fact green over there. It's not a grass is greener on the other side situation. It's, it's wow, this was different, a, a greener pasture, and that one was greener, and that one was greener, and that one was greener. And so the discipline of following Jesus's voice is this. It's learning to want what he wants for us more than what we want. It's learning to want what he wants and trust what he wants for us more than what we want for us, which is why C.S. Lewis says when we get to that final green pasture, when we get to the final pasture, when we get to heaven, our first words will be, of course. Tim Keller says when we get to heaven, we will look at everything that God has done and say, if I were God, I would have done that same thing in my life, which is crazy, right? But, 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 but that's what it means to follow Jesus. And that means he's going to take you to some places that you otherwise wouldn't go, but they're always for your good. They're always for your good. He takes us by his voice. He follow, leads us into pastures with the flock. Jesus says that we need his flock. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Why do we need the flock? Well, first of all, go home and watch one of those BBC Planet Earth things where the gazelle gets separated from the herd, right? Bam, there's the cheetah. It's got it, right? So when we get separated from the flock, we're in danger. The safest place for us is in the community of God's people, is in, is in the church, is in, is in being known and being held accountable to a church. That's the safety of the flock. And Jesus says there's going to be one flock, not two. See, a lot of us, we want a flock of, that we like and the people that we don't like can have their own flock. One of the most awkward things that keeps happening at Regen is what happens when I see a person from high school that I don't particularly like? Do they have to come here? Can they go to another flock? There seems to be a lot of flocks. You all drove by other flock things, right? Other sheep pens on your way here. Can't, like my, can't that person who I didn't really like, which by the way, was most people for me, I did not like high school, um, uh, was most people, uh, can they not go to another flock? And yet Jesus says there'll be one flock. This is why this is bad news for the racist because they want a white flock and a black flock, right? Jesus says, no, there's gonna be one flock. This is why we don't bite other sheep. This is why we don't gossip and slander because I'm in one flock with them. I don't want to bite somebody because it's going to come back to bite me. I don't do that. Jesus says I need one flock. And this also means that we join, and Jesus then has this point that there are sheep that don't know they're part of this flock. Look at the empty chairs in this room. They are not empty. We just don't know who's sitting in them yet. The empty chairs in this room are just empty. We're just holding on to them because somebody's coming. We don't know their name. We don't know their story, but Jesus does. They're part of the flock. And so it's my job to join Jesus as his work as a shepherd. Some of you have the spiritual gift of, of shepherding as we've done those tests. I, I, that's not one of my primary giftings. I'm, a, I'm a more of a teacher kind of person. Um, Zach has shepherding to him. 
He's a shepherd. And that, that shepherding means that we all join, listen to me, but it's not just Zach has that gift, so I don't have to. It means we all join Jesus in caring for one another and overseeing one another's souls. We are shepherds for one another. I have a very specific role as your shepherd. I don't know if you know this. The word pastor means shepherd. Okay, I have a very specific role of pastoring and shepherding you, but we all shepherd one another, which means if people, and what does Jesus say? These sheep that will be part of the flock will hear his voice, which means I better be speaking words, in, speaking the words and speaking in the manner of how Jesus would speak so that when I speak, people hear Jesus. If people heard your voice and heard you talk about people, would they hear Jesus? Or would they hear political anger? Would they hear defensiveness over issues? Would they hear you nerding out about the newest video game or the newest movie or whatever your pet thing is? Not that those things are all wrong, but would there be a sense of Christ's voice? Would it echo him? It means we look over one another's shoulders. It means we're in each other's lives, not to judge or to criticize, but for accountability and for affection and for honesty. We're, we, we dig in. There's no, this is my business, you can live over there. There's no, we're in this together. Jesus says we're, we're vulnerable, defenseless sheep, but that he will come to us as our good shepherd and he will speak to us with his voice. He will lead us into his pastures, which are safe, and then, and then he will also put us into his flock. And while there's those that would take advantage of that, there's, there's thieves and robbers, and while there's those who we want to care for us, and this is, this is the better way to talk about hired hands, there's just, we, we try to get people to do what it's not their job to do. It's not my spiritual director's job to be my pastor, to be my good shepherd. It's not my mentor's job to be my good shepherd. It's not my wife's job. It's not my friend's job. No, I mean, sometimes what we do with hired hands is we try to put them in a position they weren't meant for. We don't need hired hands. We need a good shepherd. Jesus, our good shepherd, makes all of this possible. His, his voice, his, his pasture, his flock, he makes it possible by laying his life down for us, by going through hell and back for us. Jesus is the word of our Father, and he embraces our vulnerability by becoming one of us. He is our good shepherd. See, Scripture says we all like sheep had gone astray, and so that he was despised and rejected by, man, by men, that he was despised and that we esteemed him not. It says that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, that we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities, that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, that we, like sheep, had gone astray. But Jesus lays his life down, and that song we sang, on his shoulder gently laid. He brings me home. This is what happens. See, at the end of John 10, Jesus has uh, one of his couple of brushes with death in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is a ninja. I swear to you, like, they're like about to arrest him and Jesus like throws the smoke thing and then like, where'd he go? Or like, Jesus like steps onto like, you know, he walks across the street and uh, like a cart by, with a donkey goes in front of him and then it passes and Jesus isn't there anymore. He's like such a ninja in the gospel of John. So people keep trying to arrest him and he escapes and I don't know how he does it, but he just keeps, you know, I don't know. But then when, it's, when it comes time, something else happens. Jesus has one of these brushes with death at the end of John 10. 
He says that he's the good shepherd, that he's the son of the father who is sent to lead us to greener pastures. And these people who hear him try to arrest him and try to stone him. They try to arrest him, they try to stone him. Now Jesus gets away with his ninja power, but in the end, the good shepherd becomes like one of us. He becomes the lamb of God who is to take away the sins of the world. He's arrested and tried and falsely accused. And as the blood of lambs was slaughtered to cover Israel's sin in the Old Testament, Jesus is whipped and beaten bloody and hung on a cross for all to see. Jesus is mocked. He is cursed and abandoned as he is left to die. And he is stoned or at least laid behind one. But what they forgot when they killed him was this what Jesus said in verse 17. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and to take it up again. Jesus rises again in glory so that we may enter into that glory with him, that we may be secure and safe in his grasp What did Jesus say in John 6? The Father puts them into my hand and none can pluck them out. We are safe and secure in the care and love and affection of Jesus. And in John, who in his sequel to this book, Revelation, gets a glimpse of heaven. And what did he say? What did he see? He saw a lamb. He saw a slaughtered lamb in heaven who was yet alive. Our Jesus, our great shepherd, become the lamb to take away our sins so that we might be safe in his arms. That we might bring others into the flock and that we might hear his voice always. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, help us to hear your voice in those moments when we drown you out. Help us to uh, have grace for one another. We belong to you. We are your sheep. So help us to trust you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.